Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about the 1962 novel The Wolves of Willoughby Chase by Joan Aiken. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Enjoy! Good evening, Adam. Evening, and welcome to the Bonnie Green Fan Club. Ooh, oh, she's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I particularly enjoyed her spirited pluckiness um, and willingness to uh, throw water in the face of monstrous authority figures. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Bonnie is the uh, one of the two protagonists of The Wolves of Willoughby Chase by Joan Aiken. Published in 1962, um, but set in 1832 in an alternative version of England. Um, (laughs) With wolves. With wolves, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, if this version of England had a logline, it would be, what if Victorian England, but wolves? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I think the um, the differences um, between uh, actual Victorian England and this version become more apparent in the sequels. Ah, uh, uh, okay. But they're, they're not particularly elaborated on in this. Um, there's quite a number of sequels. I was going to say, there's a good half a dozen, aren't there? Yeah. I mean, um, she was quite prolific. It said on Wikipedia she wrote over 100 books. The ones I know her for are the uh, Arabella Mortimer books oh okay um mostly because my brother was terrified of the television adaptation when we were kids uh-huh. so i don't know if you ever saw it it was no so it's about a girl with kind of bushy hair whose best friend is a raven uh-huh. called mortimer who just says never more lots of times <laughs> <laughs> and they get into various scrapes um but my brother generally was quite scared of puppets as a kid Mm. and yeah these particular puppets um i don't know if it was the same company he did the spooks of bottle bay which we'll definitely have to talk about another time on this Mm -hmm. podcast Uh, but they had quite large noses i remember Mm -hmm. um anyway my, my brother really didn't like it that's right run away run away I'll get that bird. You see if I don't. Oddly, despite, you know, me generally being scared of everything as a kid, I was quite fond of it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a change. Yeah, it's a very friendly raven. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, um, I read this... I read The Wolves of Willoughby Chase as a kid. Oh. I, I think I had my mum's copy um, from from the 60s or 70s. Um, and I read the sequel, the first sequel, Black Hearts in Battersea. Um, it's, but a great, it's a great I, title. Oh, yeah. No, I remember it being really good, actually. There's lots of eerie cobbled streets and uh, escaping in a hot air balloon and things. So I think we might have to come back to that one. And looking at some of the books... Some of them were described as steampunk, interestingly. So presumably <laughs> yeah. this has sort of been applied after the fact, essentially. Yes. Um, but yeah, I found that interesting. The, I mm. mean, I, I guess, you know, Vic, Victorian, various Victorian industrial cities like Manchester and London, and often, yeah, yeah a focus on big machines and transportation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... Although Wolves of Willoughby Chase doesn't start in the city. 
No. So, so it, yeah, it's um, it begins um, with uh, young Sylvia, who's the other protagonist, uh, leaving her elderly Aunt Jane behind to go and stay with her cousin Bonnie at the grand countryside estate of Willoughby Chase, as Bonnie's parents are going away on a sea voyage for her mother's health. Um, the countryside is um, so overrun with wolves um, that the train has to make a sudden stop in the station. Um, and um, the gentleman sharing Sylvia's carriage gets knocked down by his own luggage. So they end up taking him back to the chase um, with Sylvia to recuperate. This is my quite um, quite pared-down version of the plot, but we can go into more detail. But um, just to give folks an idea um so while lord willoughby is away he's engaged a distant cousin miss slycarp um to act as governess to the girls and look after the estate however as soon as the parents are gone uh miss slycarp reveals that she doesn't have the slightest interest in uh teaching or children or anything apart from reaping all of the wealth of the estate for herself um I don't know. I think I think to be fair, she's quite interested in sadism as well. Uh, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, let's let's not let's not simplify her character. <laughs> <laughs> she, she she does enjoy a bit of the being horrible to children. Yes. Yeah, I think that that is one of her passions. <laughs> um. So uh, she does things like uh, lock Bonnie in a cupboard, but. Uh, they discover a secret passage in the house um, and sort of start creeping around it and overhear Miss Slycarp talking to the gentleman from the train, Mr Grimshaw, um, about forging a new will for Lord Willoughby. And they realise that the two, these two had known each other all along and had cooked up this plan um, to, for him to get brought to the estate with Sylvia. Um, they try to send a note to the doctor asking for help, um, but it's intercepted. And when Miss Slycarp finds out their plans, she packs them off to the industrial and very Dickensian city of Blastburn, to <laughs> the orphanage run by her friend, Mrs. Brisket. Um, um, uh, if, if you're wondering about Mr. Brisket, uh, according <laughs> to the film, um, she made soap out of yeah, him. Yeah, um... He um <laughs> he was drowned in a vat of lye <laughs> by his wife and uh, made into poor quality soap for the orphans to wash with. <laughs> um, if you want to know where Fight Club stole its ideas from, <laughs> so uh, yes, uh, Mrs. Brisket is uh, just a shadier character as Miss Lycarp and. Um, runs this uh, sort of illegal workhouse masquerading as a school. Um, so the, where the two girls are forced into drudgery. Um, then that Bonnie finds out that the ship her parents were on has sunk and her parents are assumed dead. But they are rescued um, from all of this... Uh, Measurable horror by um, Simon, who is a boy who lives in the woods on the Willoughby Chase estate. Um, he breaks them. And what a boy! Oh hey. yeah, yeah, I love Simon. Um, <laughs> I, I I thought like in the film, I was like, I thought I'm going to enjoy this film when like pretty much the first shot is Simon like throwing a goose at the floor. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. But like I didn't know. He had to like that, no. he had a goose in his arms instead of putting it down, he just like threw it. <laughs> I, li I like that this is a surefire indication you're going to enjoy a film with goose throwing. I thought it showed it had character. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, yeah, he breaks them out of the orphanage, and um, they travel to London. And there's a and there's a, a a bunch of sleuthing around as they find out the um, they find out the truth about Miss Slycarp and that she forged her way into the governess role at Willoughby Chase. And 
um, they eventually make it back to the house, only to find that Miss Slycarp has turned it into a, a cruel and abusive school with Mrs. Brisket. Um, they pretend that they've come back um, with their tails between their legs to, to beg for for um, for forgiveness, but actually um, they've turned up with uh, some police and then even Lord and Lady Willoughby, who it turns out hadn't drowned, uh, but had survived the shipwreck floating on a raft and eating bananas um and uh, and and grapes and grapes yes and um the shock to the system and the vitamin c had apparently cured lady willoughby and she was <laughs> <laughs> back to her bright and bubbly self um so the the uh the conniving adults are arrested and all is returned to how it should be Yeah, it's it's a thoroughly happy ending. It is, <laughs> um, and um, and unlike in the film, it sort of the horror kind of winds down quite a lot <laughs> from um, when they from when they Simon breaks them out of the orphanage. Sort of things are. Yeah, uh, I think that's a fairly a fairly calm. I mean. Yeah, I'd say the film only winds down in the last two minutes. Yeah, it has a very hectic last ten minutes. Um, <laughs> um, oh yeah, you haven't seen the last of the wolves. I think, I think they felt that you know, the title of the film is the Wolves of Willoughby Chase, and while these wolves may also be metaphorical, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> you got to give the kids what they want. Yes. Uh, which is a load of wolves. Plenty. Uh, so we, plenty of big fluffy wolves. Yeah, um, so uh, I didn't. I didn't check if there were any wolf wranglers listed in the credits. Oh yeah, and, uh, mm. presumably. Shit, I think that only stays in my mind because I remember when we saw that terrible uh, Mel Gibson film. Um, <laughs> don't worry, we 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 uh, we sort of snuck in. We bought tickets um, for a different film, yeah. and then went to see The Beaver. And I just remember that on the credits I had Puppet Wrangler. <laughs> oh, that's where that was from. <laughs> I'd forgotten the context, but the phrase Puppet Wrangler. Is, uh, yeah. <laughs> George, yeah. <laughs> uh, the dream job. Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this was the first time... I'd read it. Mm. Um, so, so what are your memories of it? From from, can you remember how old you were when you read it? Um, I think I was probably. I think I read it a few times, but I was probably. Uh, I don't know. Say nine to eleven. Um, it's. I know it's about the same time I was reading um, *A Little Princess* um, by Frances Hodgson Burnett, um, which um, I didn't uh, realize this at the time, but. The Wars of Willoughby Chase is sort of a semi pastiche of um of that kind of book. Um, so okay, so what's a li- what's a Little Princess? Okay, so a Little Princess um, was written in 1905, and it's about a girl called Sarah Crew who um who grows up who's grown up in India with um her adoring father, um, but is then sent away to a to a boarding school in England, um, where at first she's um, treated. Um, with great indulgence and respect, because uh, because her father's so rich, um, but um, he so suddenly um, um, suddenly dies in an accident, and it turns out he had mountains of debt, so she like loses all her status and all her toys and clothes and everything, and is made to live in the attic and work for a living in um, in this um, in this boarding school. Um, and uh it, it it also has a happy ending and um it um <laughs> I, I am faltering because I haven't actually read the book in a long time and I've played instead um a little Lily Princess, which is oh. a visual novel based on a little princess, but has oh, different really, and rather more lesbian endings. 
Yes. Um, yeah. Which, so I can't remember the canonical ending. <laughs> <laughs> but because lesbian endings are intruding upon your consciousness. Yes. And like, and then she is gay. No, that's not how it originally <laughs> ended. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, the, yeah. The thing Wolves of Willoughby Chase reminded me of was do you remember when my old housemate Stu used to do a puppet show called The Little Dying Orphans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I remember one of the orphans having to survive by eating their lung peas, which were <laughs> little green bits of their lung they'd cost up. Um, yeah, the, well, the orphanage in uh, in uh, particularly in the film is very is very little dying orphans. Um, yeah, <laughs> more so in the film. <laughs> I don't think any of them yeah, I... actually die in the book. <laughs> no, there, there is. There, there's some proper death in the films. <laughs> so, the film. I mean, it's not. We're not quite talking Marianne dreams into Paper House. Mm. You know, when the film was a fifteen, and you have this sort of almost adult interpretation or adaptation of the book. Yeah. This is still a kids' film. Yeah, I would say. Um, but very much in the 1980s dark fantasy vein. Uh-huh. Um, and, yeah, it doesn't hold back on the killing. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I was um, I was quite surprised by how good the film was. Uh, yeah, same here. I don't know why I wasn't expecting much. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, th- I sort of expected it to be a bit... A bit stuffy and a bit dull, but actually... Yeah, a bit made for television, maybe. Mm. But it's actually... Um, <laughs> when I was I watched it on YouTube and the next thing that auto-played afterwards was A Box of Delights. Um, mm, that makes sense. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, yeah, okay, that these are very much a, a, similar, a similar style of thing. Um, I don't know if we'll talk about Box of Delights at some point, probably. Oh, I'm, I'm sure, because that is one that I remember from childhood. Yeah. Um, my granddad recorded it on audio cassette for me when uh-huh. I was little. So I remember all the business with squabbling people. Um, quite <laughs> squabbling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one, I mean, so, you know, this film was probably made on a budget, Um and uh, as is often the way now, uh, this meant picking up sticks and uh, filming on location uh, in Prague. Oh, really? So, huh. yeah, if you check the credits, this is filmed at Barandov Studios. Huh. Um, so it's the uh, luscious forests of Bohemia. Oh, wow. Um, which actually made a lot of sense uh, after when I discovered that, because it looks quite similar to um, some kind of Czech fairy tale films from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Three Nuts for Cinderella, um, it reminded me of quite a bit, um, which is a lovely film. I don't think it's quite dark enough, sadly, to justify talking about <laughs> this podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that very kind of deep snow uh, mm. you get. I mean, you know, I think even by the 1980s, you probably wouldn't get snowfall like that over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah... Um, some interesting casting. Uh, Mel Smith of Smith and Jones uh, being in it as one of the films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking quite a lot like Robbie Coltrane, I thought. Yeah, 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 he did. Um, um, I don't know who played Lord Willoughby, but he did look a bit like you. <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, I, 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 I don't think you're thinking of me. I think you're 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 thinking of my my long lost uncle Gerald Rumpus Nubbins. <laughs> uh, maybe I am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked a bit like Gerald Rumpus Nubbins. I would, I would agree. I'd agree to that. Hmm. Um. <laughs> um. Definitely need to um <laughs> talk about uh. Stephanie, Stephanie Beecham, um, as Miss Slycarp. Oh yeah, she's she's kind of like Angelica Houston in The Witches. Well, yeah, 
Um, I also thought um, <laughs> she's kind of doing a bit of a Nicolas Cage in this film. Oh, why did you think that? I just think, like, she just seems to take every opportunity to just, like, camp it up and, like, put <laughs> <laughs> in just, like, strange, like, little um, little flourishes. Yeah, yeah, it's a very kind of gesture mannered performance. It's pretty great. Um, she's very vampy. Um, mm, yeah, I, I she's much a uh, fair bit younger than you'd imagine from the book, um, or at least that I imagined. Um, maybe influenced by the illustrations, which you know, yes, don't suggest a young woman particularly. Um, but yeah, she likes to um, appear silhouetted in doorways, um, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> There's a sort of moments where you see her um just sort of one of the girls comes across from the house just kind of dancing alone to herself kind of. <laughs> you know. Uh, oh yeah, there's a the, a bit of her in the bath, just yeah. admiring herself in the mirror while sort of singing this strange ditty. Well, she's kind of trilling to herself. She's, mm, she's, yeah, that's a good trilling is the right word. I yeah, think. Uh, it's a very interesting noise. <laughs> <laughs> And um, speaking of Angelica Houston, um, <laughs> we get the uh, idea in the um, in the film that she's completely bold uh, as as a witch in in the witches, um, um, w- which, as one of the YouTube commentators suggested, um, might be a signifier that she's got syphilis. Oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting. Which would make sense with its sort of Victorian. Mm. period setting um um there's also an interestingly uh sexual undertone to her character which isn't in the book um as she sort of seems to be having some kind of dalliance with both mr grimshaw and mrs brisket in my opinion ah yeah well there's just a general large amount of randiness. With the villain, the villains, the, all the villains seem randy somehow. Yeah, they do in a in a sort of unwholesome sort of way. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, there's a bit where um, <laughs> where sort of Miss Lycarp has is like sitting reclining in a chair with Mrs. Brisket sitting between her thighs and like <laughs> stroking her hair. <laughs> um, and uh, Mr. Grimshaw is a very lechy drunk as well. Um, yeah. And it's got an interesting thing with the kind of kids spying on them and sort of knowing, but not knowing, right? Mm-hmm. Like that. It's like, it's not exactly that the kids are naive, it's more the, like, ugh, adults. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um... I think, oh, before, I'd mm. say that the, the two um, child performers are really good as yeah. well. Yeah, well. they and are. just exceptionally well cast. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those films where, you know, miscasting could have really sunk it. No, I was really surprised... Um, well, I was really pleased by how much Bonnie both looked and acted like I imagined her in the book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. That she's a scamp. A sort of scamp and a rascal. Yeah. Um, although they have a slightly more, um, or has a slightly more realistic relationship in the film than in the book. But they're slightly more antagonistic towards each other. Um yeah, that's that's true. I think in the book, uh, the two cousins are sort of immediately on side and best of friends, mm. whereas, you know, they're personality-wise very, very different. So I guess it would make sense that they wouldn't immediately go on. Yeah, it's, Sylvia's very um, quite um, mild-mannered and um, has been <laughs> has been uh, brought up by her eminently respectable Aunt Jane. Um <laughs> He's fallen on hard times, but still wants to, you know, keep the levels of respectability up. Mm-hmm. 
Um, um, one of her pieces of advice to Sylvia <laughs> as she put her on the train is uh, try to avoid abstract nouns. They upset people. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I, I mean, enjoyed. Syl- Sylvia definitely feels the most kind of transplanted out of Dickens. Yes. I think. Apart from possibly poor orphan Joey, <laughs> who is sacrificed oh, no. to the waters of the laundry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that, that's awful. So, yeah, there's this poor little, very cute little orphan, Joey. <laughs> little Joey. <laughs> who is horribly drowned. Yeah. Until death. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I was really banking on him actually being okay. I know, I know. <laughs> Um, um, and it's awful because he gets like the cloth, you know. I guess they're they're, they're cleaning or or dyeing cloth, is it? Yeah, I think they're, they're washing it. Yeah. And he gets it caught over his head. Yeah. And so as he's drowning, he's struggling to get free, and this cloth is kind of <laughs> like pulled down over his face like a death shroud. Yeah. It's really quite upsetting image. Mm. And I'd say he's a very little child and looks little. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So yeah, that, that was that was quite. I was quite shocked by that, and then shortly after, <laughs> um, a rather less sympathetic uh, older boy called Rupert uh, is rollered to death. <laughs> yeah, so he's um, um, Mrs. Brisket's son, who's deputised to keep the orphans in order, and um, he's um, crushed to death in the giant laundry mangle. Um, um, to the to the jubilance of the children, I will note. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, I think the book is a little bit more merciful than the film. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I mentioned I mentioned this to Alex, and um, and they 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 said, uh, "Oh, I've always wanted to go through a laundry mangle." <laughs> 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 so, um, as well as uh, no. Desire to be a mouse. <laughs> no, another. <laughs> well, so so if Alex does get transformed into a mouse, mm. you, you you know what to do about. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But, uh... Even if Alex is squeaking to be put in the mangle, don't do it. <laughs> um. Um. But yeah, once um. <laughs> So Mrs. Slycarp goes in to deliver the news of her of her son's death to to Mrs. Brisket and with the the compassionate uh response Rupert's dead get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that felt a bit ad lib. <laughs> yeah. Um Oh I forgot to mention um <laughs> God, this is one of my one of my notes I wrote um, while watching the film was um, <laughs> Constance the Beef Brisket. Um, what? Well, you know Beef Brisket. Oh, like the dish. Yeah. Oh. I thought that could be a cool nickname for her. <laughs> <laughs> like if if she was in a gang. Yeah, Constance the Beef Brisket. Or like the Mafia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you want to write some kind of fanfic spin-off. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. There are lot there are lot there are lots of just really good lines added into the, the script of the film. Yeah, there are. Well, I was about um, to say, like when she's first introduced, um <laughs> she she like opens the big iron door and says my name is Mrs. Brisket, and my word is law. <laughs> um, there's also uh, some pretty horrible talk. Um, the villains really enjoy uh, scaring the kids and uh, saying that children have been forced to eat their own vomit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was particularly unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think one of, one of my favourite retorts, though, is actually from Bonnie, hmm. which is, um, 
she's been you mentioned before she's locked up in the cupboard and understandably you know uh it's pitch black there she seems to be crying and sylvia comes up and says oh don't cry bonnie and she says i'm not crying i'm laughing with joy and not having to see her horrible face (laughs) (laughs) yeah like bonnie throws a lot of shade basically Uh in 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 this film like there's a great bit slightly earlier when Sylvia says don't let's quarrel it's unchristian the look body gives her is amazing yeah <laughs> I don't know it's a sad too <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this, this film's in its entirety on YouTube and hmm. um, I suspect it might be quite hard to come by otherwise yes it says so, it has um, Spanish subtitles, but actually it doesn't. Well, I think it does if you put the subtitles on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, so, you know, whether you can read Spanish or not, uh, either way, you you can watch and enjoy it. Because it is really, really is quite good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also watched some of it um, because I've been quite busy in the last week and I wanted to get through it. I will admit to watching some of it at 1.25 speed. <laughs> and it is the only film I've ever watched where that did not detract at all. If anything, it just added to the kind of manic energy of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that must have been actually quite an experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's there's quite a good um, chase sequence at the end um, with uh, wolves and Miss Lycarp and Mrs. Brisket on sort of steam-powered... Uh, what even is it? What, what like, even are they? I don't know. Like some kind of... It's like a steam-powered mini train that's not on tracks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. And and not only uh, does she get exploded, she then gets eaten by wolves. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for this film, you know, to be fair, I guess, you know, we've already mangled to death um, a boy who was just a bit mean. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> for the main villain of the piece, you, ha- you know, you have to up the ante, I guess. Yeah. And she also throws knives at Bonnie. Um Oh, yeah. Just before they set yeah. her on fire. <laughs> Which does look a little bit dangerous mm. for the child actor involved, I thought. Yeah, is this one of these things where the, the, the child actors later is like, I genuinely feared for my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like the, the little girl in uh, Baron Munchausen. Uh, oh, I don't know about that. Yes, no, apparently Terry Gilliam was not at all concerned for her safety um, during oh. the filming of that that one. Um I think I think the early '80s, in particular, was a very bad time actually uh, for the health and safety of child actors. Mm. Um, I know that the um, the death filming the Twilight Zone movie, mm. um, like which was produced by Spielberg, like made a big change uh, in like child acting labour laws, yeah. basically. Because I think yeah, in the early '80s, it does feel like there are more and more kind of big special effects in these kind of family kids films with child actors having to do some very dangerous stuff mm. um so yeah it's good good that it was cut back on really <laughs> yes um so the other thing yeah it's just, so i put um a couple of um as we were talking about themes that we've discovered in children's horror in our last episode i put made a few notes about that um we were talking about um transformation of houses of like the home from a place of comfort into a place of horror which um yeah is definitely uh present in the wolves of willoughby chase um mm. i mean in the film the home is established early on as a real place of family and comfort mm. You know, you see all the servants working happily together. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's shown to be, you know, a really warm, um, inclusive domestic space, uh, rightly or wrongly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, that we see Miss Lycarp, um transforming it into, well, first getting rid of her, her Bonnie's toys and 
luxuries and dismissing all the ser- most of the servants and then turning it into a a horrible boarding school um although i think that there's a bit of comfort in the in the uh, secret passages in the house which um sort of seems like the house being on the the children's side a bit um yeah in in the film there's also um i rather like this because i remember doing things like this as a kid um the two girls try to walk around the kind of upper edge of the room without touching the floor like scampering over the wardrobes and things and they do that again uh when the room has been stripped of its toys and Mm. uh, i think body remarks well at least it makes it easier to play this game or something (laughs) yeah i like that too because that that's definitely i don't know if i've played that exact game but i might have done like it's very familiar kind of uh kind of thing yeah, and very true to how children transform everyday spaces. Mm. Yeah. And the other thing that's uh, particularly relevant is um, monstrous authority figures, which uh, we um, have a, a trio of, although Mr Grimshaw is a bit not so much monstrous as greedy and a bit pathetic, really. Gross. Gross, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but Mrs. Brisket and Miss Leichhardt are um, completely merciless. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, they they, they have. They they're all about suffer the little children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they seem to revel in the the fact that children have no power and no one to turn to to protect them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they're very much like the kind of worst of Dickens's villains, basically. Mm. Like, you know, a sort of um, Mr. Squeers or something. Mm. And then, of course, the other source of horror is the wolves themselves, um, of which there are less in the book, um, but they they definitely <laughs> make their presence known. And there's the kind, there's the kind of horror of the sort of kind of oddness of them being there, like the sort of because it's a very similar to you know actual well v- setting of victorian england but uh, yeah so fic- fictionalized yeah. dickensian victorian england um but then there's this one there's this difference that sort of i don't know it feels quite creepy mm. and um there's um i don't know if you wanted to read the the part where Sylvia is on the train and the wolf jumps through the window. Sure. <laughs> she woke suddenly from one of these dreams to find that the train had stopped with a jerk. Oh, what is it? Where are we? She exclaimed before she could stop herself. No need to alarm yourself, miss, said her companion, looking unavailingly out of the black square of window. Wolves are the line, most likely. They often have trouble of that kind, dearabouts. Wolves? Sylvia stared at him in terror. They don't often get into the train, though, he added reassuringly. Two years ago, they managed to climb into the guard's van and eat a pig. And once they got the engine driver, (laughs) another had to be sent in a relief engine. But they don't often eat a passenger, I promise you. As if in contradiction of his words, a sad and sinister howling now arose beyond the windows and Sylvia, pressing her face against the dark pane, saw that they were passing through a thickly wooded region where snow lay deep on the ground. Across this white carpet she could just discern a ragged multitude pouring, out of which arose, from time to time, this terrible cry. She was almost petrified with fear, and sat clutching Annabelle in a cold and trembling hand. At length she summoned up strength to whisper, Why don't we go on? No, I expect there are too many of them on the line ahead, the man answered carelessly. Can't just push through them, you see. The engine would be derailed in no time, (laughs) and then we should be in a bad way. No, I'll expect we'll have to wait here till daylight now. The wolves will get scared then, you know, and make for home. All that matters is that the driver shan't get eaten in the meantime. He'll keep him off by throwing lumps of coal at him, I dare say. Oh, 
Sylvia exclaimed in irrepressible alarm as a heavy body thudded suddenly against the window and she had a momentary view of a pointed grey head, red slathering jaws and pale eyes gleaming with ferocity. Oh, don't worry about that, soothed her companion. <laughs> They'll keep up that jumping against the windows for hours. They're not much danger, you know, singly. It's only in the whole pack you've got to watch out for them. Sylvia was not much comforted by this. She moved along to the middle of the seat and huddled there, glancing fearfully first to one side and then to the other. The strange man seemed quite undisturbed by the repeated onslaught of the wolves which followed. He took a pinch of snuff, remarked that it was all a great nuisance and they would be late, and composed himself to sleep again. He had just begun to snore, and a discomposing incident occurred. The window beside him, which must have been insecurely fastened, was not proof against the continuous impact of the frenzied and ravenous animals. The catch suddenly slipped, and the window fell open with a crash, its glass shivering into fragments. Sylvia screamed. Another instant, and a wolf precipitated itself through the aperture thus formed. It turned snarling on the sleeping stranger, who started awake with an oath, and very adroitly flung his cloak over the animal. He then seized one of the shattered pieces of glass lying on the floor, and stabbed the imprisoned beast through the cloak. It fell dead. Tush, said Sylvia's companion, breathing heavily and passing his hand over his face. Oh, unexpected. Most. He extracted the dead wolf from the folds of the cloak and tipped its body, with some exertion, out through the broken window. There was a chorus of the snarling and yelping outside, and then the wolves seemed to take fright at the appearance of their dead comrade, for Sylvia saw them coursing away over the snow. <laughs> yeah. And it happens very abruptly. I think that's the thing with um, the fright and danger in this book, is it comes about all of a sudden that um, mm. the scene might be quite cosy and tranquil, uh, and then suddenly there's a wolf snapping at your throat. Yeah. And also, um seems uh shows a m more... Um, more presence of mind and uh, and quick reflexes than you kind of expect from Mr. Grimshaw, given the rest of his characterization. Um, yeah, it's odd uh, reading, you know, looking back at the character after reading it and what we know of him. Because, mm. um, you know, at first we don't know whether he's a villain or, or quite who he is. Yeah. Um, and why he's taking an interest in Sylvia. Um, it did remind me a bit, actually. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Box of Delights, obviously, mm. with the television um series it starts uh, on the train yeah with the sinister priest um <laughs> showing off his magic tricks yeah boy it reminded me a little bit of that yeah um but yeah um i quite like that we can't read in even reading it back it's hard to know whether on some level he is trying to comfort sylvia or whether he's actually trying to frighten her mm even more through this sort of false play of comfort, which I think is what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because he's like, oh, oh, don't worry. You know, last time they only ate the engine driver. And yeah. it, oh, it probably won't happen again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly quite an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Germany has quite frightening rhythms, basically. Mm-hmm. The book, because, yeah, it does sort of work in fits and starts and, um, yeah, things kind of get bad or turn worse at unexpected moments. Mm. Um, which works well for children's horror, I think, that that mm. feeling of things being out of your control. Yeah. Right? And uh, having to live according to the rhythms of the adult world, come what may. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say, in a way, it kind of felt like a sort of inverted Water Babies. Mm-hmm. Because in the Water Babies, right, I guess our main protagonist, is it Tom in the mm -hmm. Water Babies? Yeah. Um, you know, is sort of wild and unruly and, well, you know, it's, it's because of his impoverished upbringing. Um, but, you know, he needs to kind of be disciplined into goodness. Yeah. 
Whereas in the world's Willoughby Chase, I think discipline is often looked at askance or seen as just being an excuse for sadism and power to be exercised. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That, like, Mr. Willoughby, is it Mr. Willoughby himself? Uh, Lord Willoughby. Lord Willoughby himself, you know, seems uh, quite keen on a bit of chaos. Uh, yeah. Um, like, uh, um, you know, he, he he's quite happy for this boy to live in a cave, sort of at the end of his garden, basically, and mm-hmm. uh, has offered him gainful employment, but the boy says he'd rather just, you know, feed his geese and... Uh, live Lord off chestnuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah Lord <laughs> Willoughby's like, yeah, fine, <laughs> if you want. Um, yeah, and, and, I mean, Bonnie's... Um, Bonnie's sight wildness is actually um, proves to be quite useful to her and and to Sylvia that she's not submissive to authority. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it, you know it, it save, saves their skin many times basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, which also I think just makes this a lot more fun than the water babies. <laughs> the water babies, you know, you, you feel like you're constantly being lectured. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Whereas there's no, you know, be good as you would be done by. <laughs> I mean, you know, if there's a moral, I mean, you know, it, obviously it sh- probably shouldn't be greedy and be horrible to children, but uh, it, it generally feels like a romp, a kind of mini silly Dickensian epic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Shall we do Texture of the Week? Okay. Um <clears throat> I was going for sort of old timey, I don't know, like, you know, um, like, like in in a church, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sort of Victorian, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you hear I had an actual instrument that time? Oh, it was a natural instrument. I thought it was keys. No, it's a, it was a little shaker. Little shaker. A little <laughs> shaker. <laughs> not not a salt shaker. No, no, uh, an actual uh, musical shaker. Is it in the shape of a whimsical animal or creature? No, it's very sensible. It's not whimsical at all. Oh, sorry, it's a sensible shaker. <laughs> but you, you, you uh, it has a little rubber band to stick it to your finger. Oh, okay. That's yeah. good. That's very sensible. Yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> my texture of the week, um, I was going to be the, uh, the, uh, the soap made out of the late Mr. Brisket. <laughs> um, we have already mentioned that. Um, I did also quite enjoy, um, the orphans like punching through a thick layer of ice to, to wash their faces in the morning. Um, oh, that's rather nice. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh, I thought it was going to be the mangling, like the roller. Well, stuff. yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just didn't want to be to type. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I found, I mean, this is more kind of sensory, perhaps, than it is textural. Hmm. Um, so I'm maybe bending the rules a little bit. Um, but I really like uh, this little piece of writing here, just in terms of yeah, the, the, the smells and the colours it brings up. Um, mm. There's not, there's not like lying with sheep two, three days for a chesty cough, pronounced Mr. Wilderness. The breath of sheep is a powerful virtue in it. That and a brew of my cherry bark syrup with maybe a spoonful of honey in it and a plateful of two or good porridge will set her to rights better than the grandest doctor in the kingdom. I, I thought cherry bark syrup was mm. really lovely. Oh yeah. Also, actually, there was um, Sylvia being laid down um, to sleep on a on a moving bed of geese, <laughs> mm. which uh, was quite good. Um, yeah, d- despite all the horribleness, um, mm. there's some there is some really lovely uh, <laughs> descriptive writing in it too. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to do a shout out to my friend and our dedicated listener eric in greece um who's been listening to this podcast while recovering from a heart transplant um so um yeah also a very appropriate episode as he has a particular affinity with wolves but (laughs) yeah um get well soon eric 
I'll get well soon. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, any further thoughts? Uh, oh, well, just just one last thing. Mm. Uh, that in, in in the film, uh, Bonnie's mother <laughs> comments, oh, I almost wished we'd stayed on the island. <laughs> Which I thought was a little bit mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So our intro music is by Maki Yamazaki. Our outro music is by Joe Kelly. Our artwork is by Letty Wilson. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at StillScaredPod or email us at StillScaredPodcast at gmail.com or write us a review on iTunes if you think we're good. Thanks. Um, I mean, you, you have the right to do it if you think we're bad. Yeah, you do. We can't stop yeah. you. <laughs> but, I mean, Freedom be... of speech. <laughs> um, but we'd rather you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if truth be told. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... hmm. Bye, spooky kids. Um, don't make soap out of any orphans. <laughs> yeah. Um events in this podcast should not be replicated at home <laughs> bye <laughs> we'll see you next time bye <laughs>